Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Great to be here. Um, I'm getting in the habit every week of trying to find one word that describes the episode. I'm going to cheat today uh, because I can't use just one word. Today's two words are extremely important. Uh, important would be my base word. Uh, I want to add the word extremely to that. For 20 years, we've been talking about digital transformation. It's had some different names. Uh, most recently, digital transformation, and that means taking a lifestyle uh, more online, more digitally, uh, less reliance on having to be someplace, i.e. video conferencing instead of going to the office, Netflix instead of going to the movie theater, Amazon instead of going to the mall. And uh, many people have speculated that, you know, it's one or the other. It's either all online and or all, all in, in person in a place. And we've always argued that it's a combination of both. So uh, the digital transformation has been going on. Uh, then hit uh, February of 2020. Pandemic hits, forces everybody inside. The world participates in this work from home, play from home, educate from home, entertain from home experiment called COVID. And it changed a lot of minds and it changed a lot of habits. And for over two years, people got used to working um, remotely, some as productive as they were earlier, maybe, maybe not. And the question to this day uh, is begging, you know, what is the new normal? Are we ever going back or is this the beginning of something really, really different as what we've called paradigm shift? So recently in the news, um, Meta, formerly Facebook, uh, announced that it's going to drop anywhere between two to three billion to cut down its office space portfolio. So if you think about digital transformation, that was happening anyway, although leasing activity pre-pandemic was very, very high. But let's call it 2.5 billion, a significant dollar amount to actually um, decrease, get out of leases, terminate leases, pay penalties. <clears throat> and that, that article a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> excuse me, sends shockwaves through the industry. And uh, it's just the beginning. Many people that I'm talking to on a daily basis, uh, they say this is just the beginning. So. Our guests today are two very, very uh, experienced individuals in this field. They've been dealing in corporate real estate at a consultancy level for most of their entire careers, which probably is well past 20, 25 years. So they've seen it all. They've seen every up and down. And these two specifically deal with technology. And like we've been saying, the new normal is going to be a perfect blend of space and technology. Uh, but what does that look like? So probably about 10 years ago, we came up with an infogram to try to describe what that is. You know, it's very complex. Uh, and when you look at this infogram, uh, it is. And, and trying to understand how all these ideas and products and services and solutions and methods uh, integrate with each other uh, is a Herculean task. And uh, we put this together to try to make it a little bit easy. And even though it's, you know, almost 10 years old, this still holds true. These are 80%, we need to update it, 80% of the applications found in a corporate real estate environment, everything that any application from a DOS program to the most current cloud application um, would have an address of a building and it goes into this diagram. So um, with that, let me bring our two guests on, Francisco Acoba, Principal Strategy and Transaction, Corporate Real Estate Consulting for EY, Phil Wales, President and CEO of eBusiness Strategies are going to join us for what is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. Guys, how are you? Doing good. Thank you. Great to have you. So um, I started, you know, the conversation with the Facebook announcement, right? And and it's not the first, nor do I believe it's the last. 
And, you know, we don't ever want to be alarmist, never have been. But we, we also have to face the reality of what's going on because, you know, buildings are home to companies and buildings are part of cities and all of our infrastructure and, and all of our systems, are, you know, our retail systems, our office systems, all are playing to this old paradigm, right, uh, of, of getting a car and go someplace and do something. So let's, let's start with a little intro of yourselves, you know, maybe a minute, so people have some idea of who, who is talking and the experience that you bring to the table. Francisco, why don't we start with you? Sure, sure, and thanks again for, uh, for having me on today's show. So, um, Jim, going back now, I guess, about almost 25, 26 years, uh, providing management consulting services to corporate real estate organizations. Um, been here at EY now for about uh, a shy of two years, but with a, a number of other large uh, big four and management consulting firms uh, over the last couple of decades. Um, you know, we provide services across the entire spectrum of, of corporate real estate, uh, everything from strategy to operations to technology. Uh, and as you can imagine, over the last couple of years, uh, the discussion uh, has has been elevated uh, to a new level uh, in the organization and a lot more senior involvement, senior attention. Uh, but as we'll talk, I think, more about in today's discussion, um, decisions still have to be made. So uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So pretty safe to say for 25 years, you have been dealing with the largest corporations, real estate departments from Silicon Valley to New York City and have been in those rooms deciding how they manage that space, manage those buildings, move employees in and out, account for you know, their, their emissions, their, you know, their heating bills, if you will. You've been in that space your entire career and have pretty much seen it all. Yeah, from one, from one end to the other, the spectrum has been pretty broad and, and the, the pendulum has swung back and forth a number of times, right? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phil, how about you? What's your journey look like? <clears throat> I'm a little older than Francisco. I've been uh, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Uh, e-business strategies uh, I founded in 20 in the two in 2000, so we're 22 years old. Uh, but I've been doing that for uh, specifically the same exact kind of work for the 10 years prior to that. And and our uh, we're a little more narrow than uh, than EY and the other uh, large consulting practices. We're really focused on optimizing business processes in corporate real estate and then applying technology. So we're much more heavily focused on the technology only part but i, I agree with everything francisco said the world uh, world is changing which we'll talk about today it's a uh, it's a different world than pre-covid where most of our clients came in with grand visions of we want all this all of this technology to change our workplace and then by the time the project's over they value engineered out most of it except for the day-to-day -day operational uh, activities of space and operations, maintenance, capital projects, things. So uh, we're starting to see some of that creep back in, but uh, but that's kind of been our life for the last uh, 22 years of this company. I known both of you for a long time, would consider you friends, and I really appreciate the experience you bring to the table because, uh, again, I've been having a lot of these conversations over the last couple of months preparing for Cortec, and now more than ever, experience matters, and FOMO, fear of missing out, and shiny new object just is not going to get us out of this. It's just not. And, and, you know, hard conversations, thoughtful conversations, rabid debate, trial and error, failure are all going to be things required 
to get us into the new place. At least that's what we're seeing. So to, to again, continue to set some context, Francisco, give us, you know, in maybe a couple minutes, what you were talking about in 2019, pre-pandemic, to Phil's point, everything was going good. What did your clients do for two and a half plus years during the pandemic? And what are the main conversations you're having with your clients today? Yeah, so it's interesting because as we went into the pandemic, you know, two plus years ago, I think mo most of us had no idea that it was certainly going to last for this this long, right? So there was certainly initially there was uh, enthusiasm and activity around, okay, we're going to go into this into this situation for the next few months, but let's start planning now because in three, four, five, six months we're going to be this is going to be behind us. We're just going to move forward again. So there was a bit of, there was a, a, a surge in activity around planning and people were really thinking about, okay, what is the new normal? How are we gonna think about this post pandemic? But as things continued and we had, you know, multiple multiple iterations of, of, uh, of, of, the, of the virus and this and that over time, and we ended up pushing out two plus years. Um, organizations just kept pushing their decisions and they were not coming to, conclusions around, okay, this is how we're going to operate. This is going to be our strategy going forward. These are the technologies that we're going to deploy to be able to, to have a set of data to be able to make decisions post-pandemic. So now, you know, we're, we're, where we are, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed here, finally turning the corner, uh, we are seeing organizations begin to uh, look to put actual strategies in place. Uh, a lot of that right now is being driven by the fact that they're getting, they're getting pressure from senior leadership around cost. Uh, because most organizations have been continuing to pay their rent, pay their operation costs over the last two years, and that's just been business as usual, right? Uh, but now organizations are beginning to think about, well, you know, this is not sustainable. We can't continue to do this, especially you know, operating where we are relative to actual use of space um what are we going to do and what you know what do we need to do to make some decisions going forward around cost profile strategy technology etc so we're, we're again seeing a surge in activity uh and now it's really i think it's just the economic conditions in the marketplace are only exacerbating um that that need so if pre-pandemic was you know drive pandemic middle of pandemic was neutral what gear are we in right now? Oh, I think we're probably just just shifting in the second. Even with the economic uncertainty, I mean, when you see something like that Facebook announcement, isn't that rattling people to to say, okay, first thing we got to do is get rid of our space before we try to figure out, you know, what what this new digital workplace looks like? Well, and the Facebook example is interesting because clearly they're making a significant investment to to right size or optimize at this point, and they're gonna be running down you know, many of their assets, et cetera. Um, but think about what they're doing. They're, they're, they're yes, they're gonna be shedding some space and maybe, maybe not go, going through with some of the, the initial plans, but they're still keeping a very strong, high-performing quality core, right? And, and we're seeing a lot of organizations thinking about it that way, they're in a flight to quality even though they may be downsizing their portfolios in the next one, two, three years, the space that they put in place, the workplaces that they establish will be of a higher quality, have more 
amenities, services, technology, uh, and you know, it's just it's all about you know providing that right experience for the employees so that you know we can really use the workplace in alignment with how people are working today, which is different from what it was before. I think we might even have to change the name from workplace because we're, a lot of work gets done at home on train stations, you know, on trains at Starbucks. And what I'm hearing is that it is work, but there's also some social element to it, some culture building to part of it, um, which is, is not necessarily work. It's more human, if you will. Um, and it will be interesting to see how that evolves. So, Phil, uh, laying on top of what Francisco, same thing, pre-pandemic, pandemic, today? How, how are things yeah. changing? Well, kind of building what I was saying earlier, pre-pandemic, it was, there was a lot of interest and in, in growth in tactical deliveries. Clearly, uh, leading into two, 2019, our industry was focused on lease accounting because FASB had, had come out. Everyone's trying to get solutions in place by the end of 2019. It was a banner year for implementation partners like us that were putting in technology. Uh, but we had started seeing, uh, and a number of those companies had put projects on hold to do other services like space management or operation maintenance and those things. And those were all being discussed as, okay, in 2020, we want to get back into getting those projects done. Uh, then COVID hit. And it, our, the good news is our clients going into 2020 uh, continue to be very aggressive and active clients and, and kept us... Uh, kept us whole. But all of those other ones we were talking to just kind of went silent. And I think it was uh, in line with what Fred Six was just saying. They weren't they weren't shutting things down. They were just saying, let's wait a few months until this is over. Uh, and then, of course, it wasn't over. So we started getting excited about 2021. And it was a continuation of 2020. <laughs> and the never, uh, never say good, it's almost over because then 2022 hit and we have had a whole rash of additional things that companies have had to deal with. So 20, during the last three years, uh, it has been much tighter, uh, still focused on quality of services, but uh, not a lot of new investment. Um, we started seeing a change three or four months ago, even during a political season, which usually has, has questions and, and of course, in continuing inflation, almost like we, we can't wait any longer. So going into 2023, we're yep. seeing a lot more interest, but the shift is away from just tactical services. It's really more focused on how do we manage uh, this whole shift and how we work, obviously. So what is a workplace? Uh, a lot of reservations and, and systems where people can check in and out of buildings. Uh, I, I was, uh, hosted a, a roundtable recently uh, on ESG and uh, and one of the guys at the table said, my big problem is I've got a 10th floor building and we're using one floor of it and I've got to renegotiate those leases. But I have to figure out how to make sure the people that are coming in, I have enough space for them. Right. And so, you know, there's this shift to, oh, wait a minute, we had to manage workspace differently than we used to because we used to just had a bunch of it and people had assigned space and they came in or they didn't. So that's been a big part of what we're seeing. Uh, uh, I, I'm... I'm I'm sure that as soon as the SEC issues their guidance, uh, ESG is going to be the next big thing that Francisco, you and I are going to run into. It's going to be like FASB, but on steroids. Yep. Uh, and, and the exciting part about that is, of course, 
initially what we're going to see is a lot of focus and we're seeing it already in our clients on how do we start tracking the right information on energy consumption but i'm excited when it shifts to the second letter and it gets into the social because i think uh it's it's a little more nebulous to define but it's going to be really critical uh going forward so i i'm hopeful that that with esg coming in the workplace fundamentally changing uh and and the the focus on how do we become a more efficient like like uh, you mentioned there with facebook what the meta is going to do uh people are going to start getting looking at i need data i need good trusted data and it's got to be good enough that i can make predictions and projections and not just look at what i did last month and that's that's kind of where we think we're headed yeah incredibly deep you know topic so let's take a brief break here from one of our sponsors and we're going to come back and when we do we're going to talk about the technology, the innovation that these guys are seeing at the front of the line uh, as far as what people are interested in today's corporate real estate environment. We'll be right back. All right, before we get into the technology uh, deeper conversation, uh, one quick uh, question to wrap up our last conversation. How are you seeing the commercial landlords react to this sudden change in leasing um, activity? Are they leaning in? Are they deer in headlights? Francisco, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think what, what, what we're certainly seeing now is that uh, the, the landlords, the owners, the investors, the operators are, are very, certainly very much more interested in understanding the uh, persona or the profiles of their corporate tenants. Right? Uh, they really want to understand what do they need, what are they interested in, what are their challenges, and certainly, how can we differentiate ourselves in the competitive landscape to provide space for them? Right. Uh, it's definitely that's definitely a, a hot topic right now that we're seeing. And we primarily are, you know, my practice focuses on the occupier side of the equation, but we're getting brought into discussions with owner operators because they want to know more about what their tenants are asking for and looking for. Right. So it's, it's, it's great to see. I think that it certainly opens up the, the dialogue uh, and that has impacts, you know, from a, certainly from an operational perspective, but then very much so from a technology and infrastructure perspective as well. And Absolutely. what should be the responsibility of the owner operator investor versus the corporate occupier? And how do they need to work together really to optimize? Well, you know, for years, um, landlord said my responsibility ends at the door sure. but if there's a bathroom inside the suite they provide that water so their their responsibility has been inside that door for more years than they think and with the digital you know architecture or infrastructure that you mentioned um that's going conversation just has to get closer has to. phil anything you want to add to that uh yeah just uh I, th I think uh, we're, so. We're very much focused on the occupier too, and probably even tighter than uh, than Francisco, or, or at least because EY is broader. But uh, it is a, it is an interesting shift because the last uh, few months I've been in conferences and at, com at meetings of groups like Oscar and others, and for the first time in my career, I've seen a lot more interaction between occupiers and landlords or or or. Uh, service providers that are providing space, uh, a large part, and I, as I mentioned earlier, is ESG, because suddenly now as an occupier, I've got to decide how I get information and I'm required to report and I've got to provide information that they've got to report. And 
So there's a lot more communication there. But I also see it in some of the the products that have always been on the on the commercial side, starting to make inroads into some of the technology available to to my clients and, and like your last commercial for MRI with the acquisition of Manhattan and and yep. Yardy doing some things that are actually very active in the ESG reporting that that my, my clients probably never looked at. So I think there's a reality that whether it was the the change over the last few years in the world or if it's the changes being imposed on them by regulators, uh, there's going to be closer communication and certainly a lot more data sharing. Right. So. So let's bring up that our infogram again that uh, and leave us all on the screen if you could um, that uh, basically, th as I mentioned, we, we decided to put this together, give or take 10 years ago with the idea that there was a lot of confusion back then. It was, I think, just you know, post dot com. No, actually, that was 20 years might have been right around the 08 time frame uh, and that and that uh, financial um, breakdown. So what we did was we just said, let's go into a corporate real estate department or a corporation and find every application that has got the address of a building in it, right? So it could be, like I said earlier, a DOS-based application from 100 years ago, all the way up to the you know most current cloud uh, application. Uh, and actually, the most current application would actually be blockchain now, <laughs> which is even more confusing, right? So given that there's, I'm guessing, 100, 120 different applications on that chart, uh, Phil, what are the number one, two, three applications that your customers, your clients, your corporate real estate departments are looking at right now? What's what's at the top of the list? So our our current clients and the ones we're talking to are still very much interested in um, in IWMS, uh, not a full suite like they were in the past. They're looking at key components, but. Uh, we have in our straight consulting practice, our strategic side of our business, we have a client that has 20 plus uh, applications. They like them. They don't really want to get rid of any of them. They're all point solutions. But the data between them is is so out of hilter that they have a hard time reporting. So we're spending a lot of time getting data organized. So in those kind of scenarios, it's really more about uh, just data governance and and more services around data but on the clients and, and we work with very large clients uh, so they tend not to, to do that take that approach they they're looking for something that's more integrated uh, they're looking at at more tradition well i say that they're looking at idms systems but they're looking for some that do something different like uh, have, have a robust iot integration so they can actually start getting data live instead of having to enter it or or uh, that have at least the beginnings of a decent uh, sustainability functionality so they can start doing their data collection. Uh, so it's... It, so what I'm hearing is a little lighter IWMS, but now with a potential interest in, in, in integrating into the building automation IoT environment. Absolutely. It's, much, it's, it's, it's a lighter version. No one's talking to us about full, you know, five module IWMS systems. But they're looking for those unique parts of it, as you mentioned, that where we can get the data uh, and make better decisions quicker. Um, right. Well, that's why those six circles, they intentionally overlap each other, mean, showing mm -hmm. a data relationship. 
Mm -hmm. right? They're not, they're, they're touching for a reason. And then that circle in the middle, it changes, you know, every three or four years now it's AI and machine learning, but that circle in the middle was the Nirvana where all this stuff came together that allowed for people to pull data from various systems to get to the information they were looking at. And, and just to follow on that real quickly, uh, we're not look, we, we don't, we don't have clients that are all one shop. They have systems that they want to keep or they, they were adding systems. So it's how well can we share that data between those systems uh, and you know, IoT obviously being part of it, but just some of the core applications. How can we share those systems and and outside of real estate? How do you how do we actually integrate fully with accounting and human resources and and other IT systems? So it's it's a broader animal than it used to be. OK, Francisco. Uh, I think I'm very much aligned with uh, with what Phil saying. I think if you're t- top three um, use cases or, just, or topics for discussion, uh, reservations, actual use of space, how do you understand all of that? Um, yeah. Workplace experience continues to be a, you know, a broad a topic of interest. And then absolutely ESG, as Phil mentioned earlier, that's everybody's you know, beginning to look into to what we need to put in place to to, you know, be compliant, right? But they're still trying to figure out what do we need to measure? So that that's, they have to start somewhere. They have to start with the, the metrics. But uh, one one point to highlight, um, Phil, I love the point that you made around the IoT component. So if, if I think back, let's go pre-pandemic, when we were talking about IT strategy for corporate real estate, we were typically talking about uh, what I would call a fun, foundational operation, operating systems, transactional systems Corporate real estate, the trend, you know, transactions, space, projects, facilities, etc. Um, today, well, then there's also the side of this the IoT strategy or the smart building or digital workplace strategy, and they were two separate things, and they were in many cases within the same company, two different clients, right? Yeah. The convergence of those two discussions is is what we're seeing now, and. It's a, it's a, I think it's it's the, the right direction, uh, and it's going to really help, really you know help. We, us we we don't have a lot of time, but thirty seconds. Why did it take so long? And I think part of that goes back to you know we're talking about, you know, in our pre-call discussion, Jim. It's, it's people and organizations, right? They, they were literally two different entities that were focusing on this, and as we know, not all of the enabling functions within large corporations often talk very well. On a regular basis, right? You have to engage them in that discussion, that dialogue. So that brings me to a question I absolutely want to make sure we get in. How much time out of a week as a percentage should corporate real estate senior executives be talking to corporate IT senior executives? I mean, one is planning the future like we're dealing with right now with collaborative digital experiences. The other is trying to figure out what the space with some technology looks like. As a percentage, how much time should those two leaders be talking to each other? Francisco? Uh, I think it needs to be a, a regular ongoing dialogue. Um, and, and you cannot develop a corporate real estate portfolio or workplace strategy today without discussing IT and the technology. Does the real estate department need its own IT liaise? I mean, to, to push technology within the department? There is a role that uh, that I'll call digital workplace lead, or or or, um, or a similar similar name that we've been helping a lot of organizations put in place, and it's an individual that 
it's the basically it is that liaison that connector between traditional corporate real estate and technology and more the you know ot but it you know traditional it as well but that's an important role and it's um it can be difficult to fill but the organizations that are putting those people in place are definitely we're seeing yeah, we talked about how difficult that role is to fill phil we are out of time but 30 seconds um hr or you know i guess hr would be included in this conversation it and real estate how how much interaction i, I think it needs to increase and i agree it's it's a root it's not just get together when we have a problem it's it's got to be a routine regular conversation uh, i i think hr is in that picture absolutely and procurement because uh, a lot of the things that go awry are the fact that procurement doesn't understand real estate or technology and so it becomes very rote so i think those groups have to talk a lot but it right now it real estate is is it it has to have it it, it can't do its job without it and to try to do it without that liaison and liaison needs to understand the business as well as it it can't be well, i'll get an it person from it and they'll be my liaison it needs to be someone who knows and can can speak real estate well, guys, you can tell this conversation could have kept going. We went over time, uh, but we kind of knew that was going to happen. This is call it 20, 25 minutes or so. You know, next week we're going to be spending time with you and others in San Jose, probably about 18 hours uh, over a day and a half, closing the door, rolling up the sleeves, getting to the tough issues. Jam Pack program, thank you for all your help uh, and guidance uh, along the way, including. The, that event, this this um, RealCom Live, as well as the last 20, 25 years of your career. Need you now more than ever and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you, Jim, for for allowing me to be here with Francisco. I, I, I always learn something when I'm listening to Francisco. So this has been great. I look forward to seeing you both uh, in San Jose. I just like hanging around smart people. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> be well. All right. With that, let's bring Nancy on to do this week's news. Nancy, I'm sorry I ran a little bit over. Uh, I know you'll oh, nail it. Okay. How are What's you? going on? Good. Good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that conversation is deep. It's wide. It's complex. And uh, it's hard to cover in 20 minutes. So I apologize. Yes. All right. No worries. We'll just Take dive in. Okay, so I have a quick recap of a few of the news articles from this week's news brief, which is published every Thursday morning. Our first article is about the new Google Bayview, Bayview campus in Silicon Valley. Google definitely brought their innovative culture to the construction of this 42-acre, 1.1 million square feet facility with two office buildings, an event center, and temporary hotel units for its employees. The company's sustainability goals were a large part of their vision, including their commitment to be carbon-free by 2030. Nearby wind farms power the site on carbon-free energy 90% of the time. The campus features North America's largest integrated geothermal pile system that is estimated to reduce carbon emissions by roughly 50% and to help both heat and cool the campus. The campus is also 100% electric and generates more water than it uses. This impressive project will be a tech forward benchmark for development for far into the future. And we are very excited as part of our Cortec event next week to be taking a few of our um, delegates to visit the campus. That'll be a really great tour. Next up, Chicken Little, Big Brother and Workplace Tech. This article by our tech partner, MicroShare, references several recent news stories and a Senate action warning of a byproduct of the pandemic related to privacy expectations in the workplace, which has been become known as surveillance tech. 
While there are instances of companies that have used the pandemic as an excuse to push into clearly unethical, if not illegal, frontiers of surveillance, most of the many technological innovations born out of the pandemic are in no way akin to Big Brother. The need to monitor the health of indoor spaces and the wellness of those within them has spawned a new push to outfit buildings with IoT sensors measuring everything from CO2 and particulate matter in the air to the density and usage of conference rooms, labs, and bathrooms. Many of these technologies do not collect personally identifiable information that would be used to snoop on employees or invade their privacy. The key for successful adoption is to be transparent when deploying them and to thoroughly explain the rationale behind them. Our next article comes from the World Economic Forum and it's about improving the occupant experience in the office of the future. Office occupancy rates in North America, that's the rate which people actually occupy the building versus how much space is leased, gradually reached 47.5% in September. While this is promising for landlords, occupancy is still half that of pre-pandemic levels. The WEC's Future of Real Estate Task Force on Digital Transformation sought to understand the occupant experience through the lens of of digital technology and has developed a toolkit for improving the occupant experience. This article includes a link to the toolkit to help stakeholders determine the right occupant solutions, as well as a technology assessment questionnaire to help them understand the many tech options, vendors, and products available. And lastly, this week's Realcom Best Practice Showcase Project Spotlight features Car Properties Signal House, a 10-story Gensler-designed trophy building in Washington, D.C. The Office of the Future was created with health and wellness in mind. The building features real-time IAQ monitoring, state-of-the-art HVAC, and an efficient central distributed outside air system designed specifically to minimize the spread of pathogens and viruses. The building has achieved LEED Gold, FitWell, and Well Health Safety certifications. And that's just a few of the this week's news stories. Be sure to read these and other articles on our briefing that you can find on our website. Just click the news link at the top of the page. And that's Great a job. wrap for the news. Great job, Nancy. I'll tell you that lead story is, is my favorite. Um, you know, we've been working with following Google for years. And of course, they're one of the world's most important innovators. And they apply that to the real estate. And there's going to be a very small, you know, lucky group of people who get to get inside that campus because not many people have been. Yeah. Yeah. That's very exciting. Very exciting. So uh, that's that's next week. And uh, again, I want to say thank you to Google for allowing us to do that. Absolutely. All right. Have a Thank great you. afternoon. Be okay. well. Okay. Good to see you. All right. Um, so before we wrap the show and, and talk about next week, let's hear from our final sponsor and I'll be right back. All right. Just a, a quick thank you to our guests, to our sponsors and to our great production team who uh, helps this um, put this on every week. So um, if you know Realcom, IBCon, Cortec and our events, we don't like to just talk about technology. We like to go to where it's happening. Uh, as we did uh, at our conference this June in Orlando, Florida, where we took uh, a bunch of people, just like we're going to take them to Google, we took them to um, uh, a major, major project in Florida um, that is really living and breathing um, digital transformation. Lake Nona is known as a digital district, and uh, they're just not talking about 5G. They have a lab. They're not just talking about drones. They're doing maintenance and surveillance testing. And they're just not talking about autonomous vehicles. It's becoming one of the biggest autonomous testing labs in the country. So they're not just theorizing. They're putting these 
buses on the streets, figuring out what's working, what's not. So because we're going to be at Cortec next week, we're going to rerun a phenomenal episode that features Rachel, Rachel uh, Raquel Asa from Beep, uh, Juan Santos from Lake Nona, and Mike Smith from Whitespace uh, in a great conversation of talking about what is working and what's not and what the future for autonomous vehicles inside digital districts, campuses, cities uh, looks like. So with that, um, we're excited for that episode and you won't want to miss it. And we'll be back the following week after Cortec. And I just want to say thank you for watching and you have a great week, weekend, I should say, and we will see you soon. Be well.